Welcome to the VO School podcast, dedicated to the art, craft, and business of voiceover. Each week builds upon the last to give you a comprehensive understanding of a career in VO. My name is Jamie Muffet. I'm a full-time voice talent and audio engineer, and I'll be joined by some of the industry's top professionals on both sides of the microphone to drill down and dig up the truth. This is the first episode of the VO School podcast, and this is my first intro, so I don't really know how this is going to go, so I'm going to wing it. Today's guests are fantastic. I couldn't think of a better way to start. Amanda Rose Smith and Rudy Gaskins. I'll give you their intros in a little while, but for now, I'm going to get some housekeeping out of the way. This podcast is going to be released every week, most probably on a Thursday, and It's going to be through Backstage Magazine and all the usual social media business. You can sign up on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, where you usually get your podcasts, and there are more coming. If you have any questions, you should definitely get in contact. I'm easily found online. I'll probably set up an email address at some point. And yeah, just shoot me a message with anything you want to know. Um, We're going to be following... A syllabus which I may or may not put online, but I'll let you know each week what the following week's subject is so that you can prep your questions for the following week. And uh, hopefully I'll let you know who the guests are in advance as well. Okay, so without further ado, let's have a little break and I'll give you the intros and we'll hear the interview with Amanda Rose Smith and Rudy Gaskins. Style. Power. The home of the NFL. The all-new iPhone. Reserve your Disney World season pass now. Through all the runny noses, three in the morning coughs. An all-new American crime story, tonight on FX. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins, and these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. Amanda Rose Smith is a 10-year audio industry veteran with notable projects in the audiobook, gaming, film, and television fields. After earning a master's degree in music technology from New York University, she spent time working as a live sound engineer before turning to studio work. She served as ADR engineer for hit shows such as Orange is the New Black and The Good Wife and recorded and edited dialogue on games such as Telltale's The Walking Dead. She's directed voice performances for animation and also recorded, edited, and directed over 700 audiobooks. In addition, she coaches voiceover actors in the SAG-AFTRA voiceover lab. Rudy Gaskins is chairman and CEO of the Society of Voice Arts and Sciences. He's an Emmy Award-winning producer and CCO of Push Creative Advertising, whose clients include WeTV, Tribeca Film Festival, Fox News, BET, ABC, MSNBC, and NBC Sports. He's worked with some of the most influential filmmakers of our time, including Jonathan Demme, Brian De Palma, Milos Forman, Spike Lee, and Alan Pakula. A producer of programming for both PBS and ABC News advertising, he also played a central role in the successful relaunch of Court TV, from a news network to an entertainment venue. Here's our interview with Amanda Rose Smith and Rudy Gaskins. 
I'm going to ask an extremely broad question to kick us off. Um, nice. This first episode, I'm imagining what it was like as a voice talent starting out day one. Right, I got my pencils lined up on my desk. You know, everything's ready to go. Um, and how do I view this industry? What what is this industry that I'm looking to get into? And I remember that for myself, but it was about ten years ago now, and things have changed somewhat. So. What is the current state of the voiceover industry? Is it an industry that's growing? Is it contracting? Has it plateaued? Where are we today in the broadest possible sense? It's definitely an industry that is growing. Mm. But not only is it growing, it's growing in many different directions uh, to such a degree that it's almost impossible to put your finger on which aspects of the industry to will be the ones that uh, rise to the top. For yeah. example, there are many different people now who are producing demo reels. There are many different people now who are, many more people, I should say, who, are, who have become coaches. And many of them are union talent, you know, very skillfully trained actors who've gotten into voice acting and are damn good at teaching that craft. Once yeah. upon a time, the union used to be able to boast having the best talent, no matter where you go. And it was true, still is true. But now that same talent is teaching the newcomers who are non-union so that you have a pool of non-union actors who are also very well trained in voice acting. That's true. And you then know, you have the, uh, just to finish the point, you have sure, the sure. pay-to-play sites, which are having an impact on the industry, have had an impact on the industry for some years now. And one of them recently having bought voicebank.net is yeah. creating another very dramatic shift. Mm -hmm. So there's all this stuff going on. No one really knows how it's going to play out. So it's a it's very much a moving target as an industry. And you have to dive in with your eyes wide open, your head on a swivel, and paying attention to what's happening and what seems to make sense for you personally and whatever your vision is for where you think it's all going. I'd say... And another interesting point to be aware of is that it's not really one industry. It's several industries, you know? Mm. I mean, the people looking for commercial voiceover are not the same people who are looking for video games, are not the same people who are looking for audiobooks, are not the same, you know? Mm -hmm. All of those industries are independently affected by different things and are also independently growing and shrinking in different ways. So that's a great, that's a great point, I think. Because a lot of folks, they come into the industry with one idea in mind. Maybe yeah. they have a head full of character voices and they just want to get into animation. And that's really the way they see the industry. And when they get in, they realize, not when they get in, but when they start talking to people, yeah. they realize that, one, that's probably one of the most difficult ways to hope to break in. Yes. <laughs> and that commercial is more likely. And then it's, what is this commercial thing? Oh, that's where they want to hear your regular speaking voice. Yeah. And uh, and then how do you do that becomes part of the training, of course. And, and there's a whole lot to learn about how to render your regular voice sure. for a spot. But it and, also depends on location, right? Because like I'm in New York City and here, you know, there is animation, but not nearly on the level that you have in L.A. Yeah. And so uh, while, you know, these days with things being digital and everything in theory anyone can audition for anything from anywhere but realistically you know for a lot of these sorts of things for like an animation you know for something like that they're going to want to bring you in and 
whether the industry is shrinking or or growing and what your chances are does depend on what your location is. For instance, also with audiobooks, that's based in New York. So all the publishers are here. So in some cases, although you can do it from anywhere, it's a yeah. different situation here versus, say, I don't know, Chicago or something. Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly, when you talk about the industry growing, that has both positives and negatives to it. Because when it was maybe smaller, breaking in was probably harder, but you were a, a bigger fish in a smaller pond. You know, you're starting out today it's daunting. You know, I would not like to start out today considering just the competition that is surrounding you. You know, how do you feel um, a talent starting today? How would they differentiate themselves? And can they climb from the point of complete newbie to a pro level? Is that still a realistic proposition? I think it's absolutely a realistic proposition. It's certainly very different from the, from, uh, you know, 15 years ago. So branding is a, a critical piece of it, but the uh, brand that is marketing or finding a way to cut through. But the uh, if you're just breaking in, and even if you've been in for just a short time, say, you do have to find where you're going to fit. So it's not like you just get to say, oh, I'm going to be an animation person, or I'm going to be an audiobook person because I love audiobooks. You have to start to put your talent out there in such a way where it can be gauged by professionals who, with whom you're working until you're able to kind of figure out where you're going to have the, the best uh, chances for success. Yeah. And then as you pursue those avenues, you're going to eventually realize, hey, I seem to be getting booked more on a particular type of commercial, or I'm being called to do narrations, but I never get any commercial work. So between you and your agents and managers and so on, you start to realize what the industry thinks of you. Yeah. And that becomes what your brand is now going to be constructed around. Anything else is going to be on the fringes and where you'll have to work harder to you know, develop and cultivate. There's a bit of a chicken and egg situation there because to find your niche, you have to be working, but to get work, you need to find your niche, you know, kind of well, situation. So. But I mean, so much of that, I think one of the biggest, maybe that in some ways, one of the biggest recent developments that affects that is how much how solo this work can be sometimes now mm. where you're doing it at home by yourself, you know, without a lot of feedback. And I feel like the people who make an effort to seek out, you know, experts in the field and people who know what they're talking about and peers, you know, who are doing well and get their opinions on things and, you know, test things out. I feel like they they get so much more of a leg up than people who are just sort of tossing auditions into the dark void, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it makes point. such a difference. I mean, I work, um, I work at the SAG VO lab um, in New York, which is the this, this sister lab to the Don LaFontaine lab in LA. And I coach people there sometimes. And I find that people do so much better, both just in their skill level and also mentally how they feel about it when they're able to connect with other people in the business. I think that's so important. Yeah. Um, and I think also from a work standpoint, you know, even if we are doing things at home alone and even if so much is happening on the internet, like maybe any business, it's still about relationships. And I feel like mm. when you can make those relationships happen and be someone who's pleasant, you know, to work with and talk to, that's almost, 
it's at least as important as important as talent. I mean, and can you do that in your hometown if you're not in a major center? Can you do that in your local area? It depends, right, on where you are. I mean, mm. but I think you can do it. You know, you can do it by connecting over the internet with people actively searching out communities and you can also do it by sometimes traveling to conventions and events and things like that like yeah definitely do the conventions uh especially that's voiceover and the voice arts awards coming up in a couple months right that's right proximity is something that's sort of you know it's, it's now virtual and even though uh being in a, in a number one market like new york versus being in uh, you know, a, a smaller market in, in the Midwest, for example, is a, uh, is a challenge. The internet or so, and social media has really mitigated that challenge to the point where the individual can create proximity yeah. on their own. And that, you know, some people just have a knack for that. I mean, there are a couple of people who I work with quite regularly who are in LA and I feel like they're here in New York. Because that's how our relationship is. So the when you talk about how does the the new actor or the or the existing actor who's just wanting to elevate their game make themselves their presence felt, you have to look at what can I do with proximity? What can I do with the tools of social media, of blogging, uh, of the phone call, of attending events to make sure that my presence is felt, that I don't seem like somebody who's off in uh, a distance yeah. but that my presence is felt wherever the business is happening yeah i mean it seems to me um based on what both of you you were saying and in my experience there's you know you have to attack this from multiple angles all at the same time you know if you're starting out not only do you have to get the training and the experience to actually do the work but like you were saying rudy you've got the branding and the marketing side and finding your niche and exploiting uh, the internet to forward yourself within that niche mm -hmm. um there's a lot to think about you know also one of the biggest mistakes i see if we're sort of going with this networking theme that we're mm. on right now i think that sometimes people think they kind of overthink the branding and marketing stuff sometimes you know yeah. where they say well okay well this is my page and now i'm going to have this list and i'll just email people about my projects and you know people like talking to other people yeah you know, and hearing about their life. I mean, I, I think I probably get more likes when I post pictures of my cats than I do when I talk about <laughs> my work. Oh. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because I feel, and I like that too with the people that I work with where I feel like, oh, look, there's another human. Yeah. And we're both humans and I like that person. And oh, look, they're good at their job too. Well, wouldn't it be great to work with somebody I like? I mean, you can't sanitize yourself to the point that you you feel like yeah. you come across as a robot at that point, don't you? So exactly. you do want to feel like you're yeah. dealing with a real person. Absolutely, I completely agree. Yeah, the networking is 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 essential, and how you go about it. I mean, I love you talk about your cats. You find other people who are into cats, and uh, there's a lot of people <laughs> into cats on the internet. Yeah, I mean, one <laughs> of one of one of my best uh, opportunities for work uh, came out of just talking with someone about a problem they were having with it with a program. It was a producer who's working on a program. And we were just talking about, man, how would you deal with something like that? And we're at a conference. And then out of the blue, he says, hey, what do you do, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> and I answered. And the next thing I knew, we had a $150,000 project working for that television network. Wow. And, uh, and it didn't come out of me selling myself as doing a particular thing with the hope that I'll make a connection. 
it came out of just talking with somebody about what their issue yeah. was and trying to help them. And it's wonderful when you can have that kind of conversation and have it become, hey, by the way, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, people like working with real people at the end of the day. You know? Yes. It's not just a business transaction solely. And it is more complicated now with the with the social media because uh, everybody's working at creating a presence yeah. uh, from a branding standpoint. I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of folks who are in voice acting are working hard to kind of create a brand. And I, I agree with you, uh, Amanda, that it's a little bit horse before the cart. I mean, cart before the horse these yeah. days, because most of these folks have no experience with branding and marketing, except that now they have something that needs it. Mm. And so they're pushing forward to try to make it happen in all the wrong ways. But the uh, between the various social media outlets, people are showing up in different ways. Uh, and and it just creates confusion about who they really are, with the exception of their friends, their immediate friends or their immediate sort of meetup group around voice acting. But they're not speaking to the people who matter, which are the buyers and the facilitators of work. So the producers, the content creators, casting directors and agents are not hearing any of right. that noise. Yeah. So how do you get to those people? I mean, reaching out on social media is it's difficult because, you know, if you're essentially, for want of a better phrase, a nobody and you're you're reaching out to a producer, what are you offering that producer other than, you know, something that you can get out of that? Is that is that key to it? You are, you need to offer them something? Well, I think you need to you need to incite some interest. Mm. Say you reached out to someone on Twitter. Yeah. And whatever it is you did, it was interesting. And I'm a casting director. And I just said, oh, let me see who this person is about, what this person is all about. And so I go to your Twitter page. And I see it's just a lot of family stuff and chit-chat between friends. And, okay, there's nothing interesting here for me. On the other hand, if I go to your Twitter page and I say, wow, this, this person is really up on what's going on in the industry. I see interesting articles that I, that I didn't know existed that I now want to read. Uh, there's interesting facts and, and uh, tidbits that are juicy and all about the stuff I need to be familiar with. Well, now I, I've got a resource. Wow. Yeah. Now I'm talking to a person who uh, I'd like to work with somehow, whether I'm hiring them as a voice actor, I want to be around this person. So I would say you want to build your social media platform so that you are that person. Yeah. And then just start friending all those other people. You know, you can just go follow every single casting director on the planet. They've all got a Twitter page. Follow yeah, them. Most of them will friend you back. Like it's not really, it's, it's not as complicated. I think I hear sometimes I talk with actors and they say, well, I don't know if they would friend me. Like I'm just this or I'm just that. Just, it's, <laughs> it's not a big deal. Just, <laughs> I mean, you share some interests. I suppose being yeah. in the same industry, it's inevitable that you're going to share some interests and it's going to be a two way street, you know, like you say. Yeah. Right. And you may share some uh, colleagues too. Yeah. So if I go to your Facebook, I say, oh, there's eight people that I like and know on this person's page. And that's more reason for me to want to connect. Yeah, I definitely, yeah, I definitely do that. When, when I get requests from people, I always look and see how many mutual friends we have. (laughs) Well, because, you know, when you get to a certain point in the industry, it's sort of strange if you don't have any friends. That's true. In common, because um, it's a shockingly small world. (laughs) Yeah. And the voice actors tend to, um, group together. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, there's so many groups like on Facebook and, and, uh, and, and then groups who meet outside of 
the work world and, and go to bars and meet at each other's houses and practice voice acting and all that sort of thing. And, uh, and they wind up sort of preaching to the choir. Yeah. That's true. And they, they listen to each other's demo reels and give each other feedback and, uh, and they, and they make changes and so on based on that. And not that they, they aren't a growing body of experience and, uh, and knowledge, but they're not the people that they're trying to reach. Yeah. And there's a there's a disconnect there in terms of what those people are listening for. Recently, I saw someone who created a demo reel. They took a audio demo reel and uh, put picture to it. Hmm. Oh. And oh. the the picture they put they put to it was just kind of any old graphics you could pull out of pull off the shelf and you know. Uh, and it looked first of all, it was bush league. Yeah. It was it was less than what you would expect from a second year college student, and then it was all material that everybody is familiar with from watching television and watching right. films. Mm-hmm. It's like, we know what this logo really looks like. And you just sort of created one of your own. That's the not standards. something a producer would want to see. No, the standards exist for a reason too. You know, it's interesting, like in terms of commercial reels, there are some pretty set in stone um, rules about what, you know, what a commercial demo sounds like. And I feel like in some ways, it's a little bit of a gatekeeping thing, right? Because if somebody's putting something out there that doesn't have some of these standard things, it's sort of a key way of knowing that they're not really plugged in. This speaks also to the coaching demo production services that are out there that will pick up on anyone just starting out and really people that are not quite ready for their demo yet and exploiting their naivety. A good commercial demo will get you in the door, you know, in, in for an agent and for, for work, you know, but you have to be at that level to to get to that point where you can create one. It's called a demo for a reason, right? Yeah. Demonstration. It has mm-hmm. to be a demonstration of something you can actually do. If you can't do that, then it's not a demonstration. It's just a lie. Yep. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's very important that those two things match up. Uh, I know a lot of people breaking into the industry and I, I've always said, and those people who have already been in the industry, because I meet a lot of folks who are in the industry already mm-hmm. uh, for two years, three years. And when it comes down to it, they're still kind of breaking in. Mm. And though they may see themselves as being further along, but their demo reels reflect what you're suggesting here. And it really stands out when they have opportunities to meet casting directors yeah. who are having them do live reads, cold reads in their right. offices. And right away you can say, okay, this is not the person on that demo reel. There's there's a producer and a director uh, and an engineer in there making that stuff happen yeah. for you. Do you have situations where you'll have someone in and they're, they'll lose it behind the mic because they're familiar with working from their home studio, but you get them in a professional environment and they can't handle themselves? Has that ever happened to you? Well, only in the sense that I was just describing where uh, because we – We've trained people or we've had people come in because we do coaching, Joan and myself, we've had people come in and say, hey, can I, can I work with you for an hour because I have a meeting with a casting director? Right. And they'll go to that meeting and they'll choke. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's in that way that, I, that I've been able to see sort of firsthand what happens when the training isn't there. Because I would much rather have said, well, I've heard your demo reel and I've heard your reads. I think you should work for a few months mm. yeah. before you meet this casting director and you should probably redo this demo reel but that sounds like oh someone's just drawing me into you know baiting me in to spend a lot of money yeah it's like well, no eventually you're gonna have to do it uh 
and then they get burned when they get to the casting director. Well, there's a big, that's, that's so hard, right? Is one of these things that's really hard to, I think as a newcomer, to be able to tell the difference between a veteran like you mm. telling them, look, you need a little bit more work and somebody, cause there's also lots of people out there who's really just trying to get them to pay for something from them. And sometimes I think from someone who, for someone who doesn't have enough experience to easily tell the difference, it can be really confusing and demoralizing trying to figure out which of those two things are happening. Yeah, yes. I, I think that is a major problem in this, this industry. I think, you know, if you start out today, you're vulnerable to being exploited by yeah. people who are just, I mean, if someone, I think if a coach or producer comes, uh, sorry, not a demo producer, if they come to you, that's a bad sign. <laughs> you should be yeah. going to them because <laughs> they've got a great reputation and um, you right. have researched them and, and they, they're not reaching out to you directly. I see this all the time, particularly on social media, where someone says, oh, I'm just starting out. And then someone pounces on them and say, oh, take my class, blah, blah, blah. Oh, right. Yeah. Or someone will post something like, um, does anyone know of a good coach? And then you'll get yeah. like 40 yeah. <laughs> responses of, you know, 40 different people say, now where are you? Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a way to do research. You know, you can start peeking around and within 30 minutes, you're going to have a sense of how broad things are and how you need to start zeroing in to get a better sense of who you may want to work with. Uh, and that's just for starters. Yeah. I mean, I don't know any seasoned voice actor who hasn't worked with multiple coaches. Oh, yeah, of course. Definitely. Who all serve different purposes for them. Yeah, I mean, and their coaching website will have their previous students and, and their experience listed on there. It's really straightforward to find out if someone's reputable or not, assuming they're not lying. Yeah. Um, maybe they're a bit more expensive, but I think in the long run and even in the short term, it's far better to go to a, an established respected coach than the than someone who's offering it for half price i mean i'm not yeah. saying that it's always true but there is some truth to the you get what you pay for what you pay for yeah. maxim in the sense that you know i i think you should be a little bit weary if somebody's saying oh, i'll produce your demo for 200 dollars." you're like well <laughs> yes yes right it's it's part of the same learning curve that we were that we were touching upon when we talk about being at the level of the demo that's been produced for you, assuming that the demo has been really well produced. Yeah. That, you know, when you're learning and reaching that point where you're ready to do a demo, just as when you're learning about where to go and get my training from, that's part of your learning curve and becoming a voice actor. Mm. Yeah. That, you know, it's not someone else's responsibility to say, here's the best place for you to go. It's not the coach's responsibility to say, okay, yes, today you're ready to go do your demo and you should, or that the talent would just jump and make that choice on their own without any input from the seasoned coach. So it's all kind of coming, it's all sort of being stirred into the same soup as you're growing and as you're gaining skill and confidence and a sense of empowerment about the talent that you're uh, cultivating and the next step whether it's a demo reel or to start meeting with casting directors, you want to be a part of that decision. Your coach is there to guide and help. Yeah. But you should be a part of understanding why you're ready. I was just going to say also something to consider when jumping to make a demo. You know, I've seen a lot of people who, who they're, you know, they're just so excited. And I get that because it is exciting. It's an, it's an exciting field and it's fun and you want to get out there and, 
and start working. But, you know, people's memories are long. Yeah. And it is a fairly, even, even with the explosion that's happened with the internet and everything, it's still kind of a small world in the sense that if you do make a demo well before you're ready and start shopping it around everywhere, later on, you know, when you are ready and you have something new and improved, it, it's going to be a challenge to sort of erase that first impression that you already made before you were really ready. And that's something I've seen happen a lot, you know, when I'm talking with producers, you know, we're in the control room and you're like, oh, that person. You're like, didn't I just hear them like a couple months ago? <laughs> yeah, I'm not interested, you know, and they might not even listen to the new thing because you've already kind of jumped out there before it was really the appropriate time to do it. And I'm not trying to scare anyone. It's just that I think that there's a balance, you know, where if you wait until you know 100% that you're ready, of course, that's never going to happen mm, because right. a lot of us, if you're like me, and a little bit of obsessive, you're always, you know, you're always have one more thing to fix, one more right. thing to fix. But <laughs> on the other hand, if you jump out really soon before you've kind of gotten a lay of the land, you can be actually doing yourself a real disservice. So yeah, no, that mm -hmm. makes that that's absolutely the case. I was trying to think back to when I was starting out, and it took me a long time to really get a sense of where I fit and what I could do and where I was placed in the industry and you know it's that's also it does change through time as well the fashions come and go and the industry changes as well right. um but it's a constantly evolving thing but when you're starting out what's dif difficult is that you don't know the industry you don't know what is a good demo you know don't know what is going to be successful for you so that's where not launching straight away like you said amanda and sitting and studying the industry and studying who who's successful and why they're successful and things like that is it's probably a good use of your time well it's true with demos too you know it's funny i'll have people come in and they'll say stuff like oh this really famous person this is their demo i'm confused it doesn't sound like what people have told me to do and it's kind of this weird thing where you see this parabola where the people who some people, not everyone, but some people who are really successful, they're not getting work based off of their demo anymore. Right. You know, they've got right. connections and they've got people who already know their voice and know what they sound like. And sometimes you end up in situations where really well-known and really talented people have really crappy demos. <laughs> it's true. I've, I've gone on like voice bank and listened to yeah. some d demos from like the top talent. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, one, they'll either like they go on and on and on for 14 <laughs> minutes or it'll be some fragment of something that you can't make any sense of. And like, yeah. why is this on voice bank? Or it's <laughs> a promo for the Golden Girls or something. <laughs> and it's like because they're busy working and they don't have time to think about it. No one else has time to think about it. They're too busy, you know, raking in projects. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, one of the thing, one thing I think is very important about breaking in is one, there's an emotional side to it that we, we'd love to, I'd love to talk about yeah. a little bit. But the main thing is this attitude that everything should be really cheap. Mm -hmm. There are people who come into the business like that. I don't know why it's so prevalent in voice acting. Uh, because there's, there is this myth that, okay, voice acting is where I can get rich. <laughs> and yet all the people who want to do it are coming in with, you know, where can I get a microphone for $20? Where can I get coaching for $10 an hour? They're all looking for this kind of circumstance and it's the wrong way to approach your career It's the wrong way to approach your life 
from this place of scarcity and suspicion. Yeah. And, uh, but you meet up with a lot of that. And, and that's where I think it gets difficult for people to make choices because they're looking at it all for, through the veil of how can I get something for nothing? Yeah. Even though I want a lot at the end. Well, yeah. and that's the thing too. They, they don't want, I mean, it, you also have to realize that that attitude is prevalent you know, on the other side too. And it's like, if you don't want that done to you, yeah. you know, when you're booking work and doing work, so don't do it yourself when you're hiring people yes. to help you out. I mean, it's everybody deserves to be paid what they're worth and to have their skill and time respected. Right. And if you're, and if you're smart about it as a, as a, as an industry, as a group, you want to do what you can to elevate that value. Yeah. Yeah by creating more value in terms of the level of your talent. I mean, that's one of the things that SAG-AFTRA, now SAG-AFTRA, but that unions did for, for labor in general, was they really upped the ante on what the value really is. They brought the truth out, and then they made sure the training was there so that they could sustain that and be able to say, well, if you want the best, this is where you get it, yeah. and this is what it costs you. Now you have a lot of uh, outlaws, mm-hmm. not to be negative, but just people who are on their own and creating whatever uh, rate structure makes sense for them. I mean, I recently heard someone say, I did a job for, I think it was $50 off one of the pay to play sites. And, uh, and his rationale was that it was good practice for me. Yeah. I said, well, while you're practicing, someone's actually, uh, you're actually building the, uh, the, the brand for the voice industry that is cheap. Yeah. And that one day you're going to be looking for that job that's more than $50 and it's not going to be there because of people who go along practicing. Yeah. And you're practicing for a career that is, you're diminishing. (laughs) Well, that's so true because yeah, you're basically, what you're basically saying at that point is this is what this is worth. Mm. And you know, cause I, I, I've encountered that so much too. And you get these people and they're like, well, get off my back. What do you care? What I charge? You charge what you charge and I charge what I charge. I'm like, yeah, well. (laughs) That's not really how it works. <laughs> you have a group of people who are deciding, you know, on, you know, I mean, yeah, everybody has their own individual brand and, and ways of, of proving what they're worth. But at the same time, if some guy over here is doing something for $5 that really should be 500, you know, clients and people are going to be like, well, why should I pay you to do this when I can get this? You know, I mean, yeah. There's a misconception that you're only being paid for the time you're behind the mic, when in many respects, everyone has gone through years of coaching, thousands of auditions, you know, hours and hours behind the mic to get to the point where you can knock it out in a couple of takes, you know. Um, what you're paying for is the access to that person and their skills and their experience. It's not just, you know, you're not clocking in and clocking out and that's what you're being paid for. That's the 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 mentality, I think, when people come in, they think, oh, I just have to say a few things. And then if I get paid 50 bucks, that's way better than, you know, my office job working or in an office. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it's more than that, you know. Anyway, so I want to quickly get on because I've got a couple of questions that I've actually reached out to some new entrants to the industry and I've got some questions from them. And we're sticking with broad theme here. <laughs> so they're quite broad. Um, so <laughs> the first question is from Kellen Fasola. I think I've pronounced her name correctly. She says, I'm starting a new career at age 32. What is one thing that I should know starting out in voiceover? 
that age 32 is extraordinarily young. That's true. She's going to yeah. love that. And she has a lot, a lot, a lot of real estate in front of her. Yeah. For her mentioning that, it seems like she thinks it may be an issue, but it's clearly not. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people that are coming, if, if they're people who have been career actors already and they're coming from an on-camera point of view, especially women, mm. you know, there's this really prevalent idea of the sort of age expiration. And that's kind of one of the great things about voiceover is that that's not necessarily true. I mean, yeah. I've worked, I worked with this one woman who voiced for eight years a very popular cartoon character, a teenage boy. And she did that for, yeah, she did that for over eight years and she's in her late forties. Nobody like cares. Nancy Cartwright. What do you sound like? Well, I, for the record, I'm not talking about her. That would be great. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I mean, what you sound like is really what matters. And that's not to say people aren't going to judge you a little bit by how you look. Unfortunately, I think that does happen sometimes now, mm. but it's not the same as commercial work where it's like, well, if you're a woman, pack up and die at 30 because nobody. Yeah. yeah. This is a little bit, uh, this, this connects with what I was re referring to earlier when I talked about the emotional side of, of voice acting, because you see it, you know, up close and personal when you're working one-on-one -on -one with people, uh, in private and where she's coming from right now is, is more emotional right. in terms of how she feels about where she is as, as it relates to her age, perhaps, mm -hmm. uh, when the things that she needs to do have to do with the things that everyone needs to do, whether they're starting at age 18 or age 80, and that's going to be learn what this business is about. Right. Yeah. Get the training that you need uh, to, to cultivate your, your abilities to perform in front of the microphone, to interpret scripts, to follow direction, et cetera. And uh, if you're feeling like you're too old or if you're feeling like uh, – there's something against you because of your nationality or gender, et cetera. Or even if you feel embarrassed on some level to, uh, to put yourself out there in front of people, fear, fear of failure. There's a, you know, there are dozens and dozens of emotional, uh, hindrances that people have to deal with to break through and do something like voice acting, which does require acting does require you to tap into aspects of yourself that you have to bring to bear on the copy in the moment. Right. Whether it's, to, whether it's to smile or be angry or to be frustrated, whatever the, the, the tone is, bringing those things to bear in the moment takes uh, acting training. And life experience that you can bring that to that, that benefits you if you're older. Yes, absolutely. Abs yeah, I mean, I would, I would say that, yeah, being able to access experiences that could inform your read is incredibly valuable. Um, but I think that's so, what you hit on there about acting training, I think that's so important because I think sometimes people forget that it's voice acting. It's yes, still acting. definitely. Um, I have people come in at the sag after VO Lab all the time. They say, well, I still want to act. We are acting. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And I, my, I always tell folks about the conversational read. It's it's just another name for good acting. Yeah. yeah. It's don't sound fake. Yeah. <laughs> but I just think that's, it's so funny that people somehow have, have put those two things as if they're separate, but they're really, they're really not. And I think yeah. that in some ways, if people want to know what the first thing they should do starting out, is, I mean, there's so many first things, but if you don't have a lot of, if you're not one of those people who's coming from maybe another acting background and, going into voice acting from that, I would say 
acting training is really important. And it's so much fun. Yeah. Every student I've sent off to an improv class or an acting class has come back with a new perspective on life. Yes. Yeah. Just jazzed completely. And and for those who are looking for something inexpensive, acting classes are relatively cheap compared to one-on-one voice acting classes, which you will need. But you know, you can get a 16-week acting course for 400 bucks, and yeah. you might even be going there twice a week. Yeah. And I mean, if you do that before you go to those voice specific classes you were talking about, I feel like in some ways you'll have such a leg up because mm. I, you know, I've seen a lot of these voice acting specific classes. And when people come in when they don't have any acting background, I feel like they usually have to spend the first part sort of learning some just regular acting fundamentals. Whereas if that's already in your toolbox, then you can really dig into some of the voice specific stuff later on. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to think about the process so much and you can go into the character more and explore more. Yeah. But jo- Joan and I were, uh, were fortunate enough to be invited to uh, Columbia University's graduate drama department. <clears throat> and now we do this every year toward the end of their, the graduating year. And we work with the, uh, the, the ensemble, there's usually about 16 of them, mm. on voice acting. And it is such, it, it is a world of difference because it's new to them because voice acting is a very different, unique kind of thing from traditional acting, but they have all the tools in place already. Yeah. yeah. They're already open. You know, you walk into the room and they're just open and hungry and they're used to taking direction. They're used to getting it wrong. They want to get it right. They want to find a way. Yeah. And it makes the whole process a very different kind of uh, learning experience. And it's a lot easier uh, as a director working with people who are already fully open to the to the notion of directing yeah. and have built the kinds of tools that are needed to be malleable and coachable and still bring themselves to it. And it's a huge confidence booster, I think, as well. You know, like we were mentioning earlier that you can be quite isolated as a voice actor, working on your own in the sort of dark studios and things. Sure. But standing in front of a group of people and reciting a monologue is scary but exhilarating you know so when you bring that Mm -hmm. into the recording studio when you come back as a voice actor it's very emboldening i found that i took a course at stella adler and i did the same thing and yeah it was it was really fantastic i would definitely recommend their monologue class but it was really um emboldening for me to get back in and do the voiceover work because i took a lot of the the knowledge from the class but also that confidence and and you and i think when you're doing acting you develop a rehearsal process yes and that's one of the things that's missing tremendously for people who are alone at home in booths and especially if they haven't had any acting background and they they call themselves quote self-directing unquote (laughs) but they they are in a scenario where everything becomes static my microphone hangs here my screen is over there my chair is here and they're sitting in this spot like like a pilot in a cockpit yeah and and, and just creating routine. And then every script that comes to them gets squeezed through that routine. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's a big problem. Yeah. yeah. Getting, getting out of that routine is, you know, it's very easy to do, fall into that. And people yeah. get really micro, too. Like, I'll, I'll have people and they say, well, should I go up here and then down on this right. way? <laughs> should I do this? And I, I always say, I'm like, look, if you really want me to, you know, we can look at this 30-second spot and I can tell you exactly which word to right. and which not. <laughs> you know, if you understand the intention of the spot, if you understand where it's coming from and, you know, the actual acting of it and the, who you're supposed to be and who you're speaking to, 
all of those things are just going to happen. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because you're understand because you understand what you're saying. Right. You once you um, once you know the why. Yeah. Yeah. The other things will take care of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Um, I think we should probably wrap this up because we're getting to an hour now. Um, thank you so much, Rudy and Amanda, for joining us. I think it's been a great chat. Um, really great advice. Thank you. Wonderful me. chatting with you guys. Yeah. All right, so... There's our interview, and as if on cue, there's a firework display happening outside my studio here. So if you're hearing fireworks, it's not just inside your head, it's actually happening. Couldn't have planned it any better. Okay, so that was our first episode. I hope you liked it. I hope you got a lot out of it. And we'll be back next week. And um, still finalizing the details for the next episode, but I'll let you know. If you check in with some of the social media, we'll find out who's on and what we're going to be talking about. Okay, thanks very much for joining me. I'll see you again next time. Please like, share, subscribe, and review the VO School podcast. Many thanks to this week's guests, Amanda Rose-Smith and Rudy Gaskins. Thank you also to our sponsor, J. Michael Collins, and to Backstage Magazine. Join us next week for another class.